Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Today I want to talk about the topic of as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Uh, Let's get our Bibles out. Here at the Rhodes Church we love our Bibles. We get excited about it when we open them up because we believe that it is the word of life. So Mount Carmel, Carlinville, North City, E-Roads family, come on, if you got your Bibles, let's get them out. Let's open them to Matthew chapter 6. Woo! Matthew chapter 6. Sermon notes are available on the YouVersion Bible app in the events section only this week. They're not going to be in the worship guide. If you'd like to petition for more written sermon notes, please do so and submit $5 to the church. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, I want to pray over our kids Uh, As you heard in the announcement, we have a lot of things going on. Our Mount Carmel Kids Summer Connect is coming up uh, at the end of this month. The North City Kids Boot Camp is coming up at the end of this month. Moose students, this is the uh, high school and college age, are going to Motion Conference at the end of this month. And then the North City Pack You Back to School is at the end of this month. So it's a great opportunity to uh, impact our communities and touch our kids and for God to move through our kids how many wants God's to move, God to move through our students and our kids and our church? Let's just begin to pray together. And let's just agree. Father, I thank you for the anointing and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you said if we want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, that we need to be like one of these children. So, Lord, I pray that you will teach us to be like kids again with you, to just uh, trust you with everything, to look to you to supply all of our needs and meet everything according to your Uh, will until your plan. And Lord, we pray over our kids. We pray over our students. We pray over the ministry in Mount Carmel and Carlinville and North City to our children. We pray, Lord, for powerful encounters with the presence of God with our children, Lord, that there is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no kids uh, encounter with God, but there is just your encounter with them. So, Lord, we pray over that in these events that's coming up. They pray to be saturated with your anointing. The kids will be changed. Our community will be impacted and all of it so that you will get all the glory. And I thank you, Lord, even right now, that, God, you move through the message. Lord, I just lean into your voice and trust you. Whatever you want to say is what I want to say. We want to hear from you. We want to hear from heaven that uh, you get all the glory from it, Jesus. I want to point people towards you. So I pray for revelation. I pray for clarity. We bind the strategy of the enemy in the name of Jesus. We bind every tactic that he might have. And we just thank you for liberty, liberty to flow with you. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6, talking about as it is in heaven. Are you ready this morning? I got a couple. The rest of you are a little slower getting ready, but that's all right. Maybe you're still turning. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 5, and we'll get right into it because, man, I don't really know. After the first service, I don't really know what... uh, all God wants to do today. I'm just kind of trusting him and flowing. I, yeah, I, I, never mind. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of where I don't know where I'm going. So that's, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, where did I say? Verse 5. And Jesus said, it's in the red, so it's important. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. That they may be seen by men, assuredly I say to you, they have the reward. 
But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, publicly. Verse 7, and when you pray. So the third time in three verses, he says, when you pray. Somebody knows it's important to pray. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, I know I don't pray as much as I should. You may have heard that. Maybe you've said that. Here's the solution to that. Pray more. Right? I don't see that. I don't speak that condemn, uh, in a condemnation way or a condemning way to you. I'm just saying if we're like, I know I don't pray as much as I should, here's the answer. Pray more. Pray more. I'm not saying pray eight hours. Pray 15 more minutes a day. Pray 15 more minutes. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray. Maybe pray 15 minutes at all. Whatever you are, just pray more. If you're like, well, I'm not praying as much as I should. Okay, then start somewhere. Begin a prayer life with God. Begin talking to him. Because Jesus said, when you pray, not if. Not for the prayer warriors. Not for the intercessors. We've we've given ourselves excuses not to pray because we thought that was for special people. It is for special people called humans. That's who's supposed to pray. (laughs) Those who are followers of Jesus, pray. When you pray, all right? We give you opportunities. I said it last week. We give you opportunities every single day of the week to pray here at the church. You can come here of the morning, you can come at night, Monday night, 6 to 7. You can come on Saturday night, 6 to 7, every day from 7.30 to 9. Or you can also pray on Sunday morning. we got plenty of time that you can pray. All right, so you get the point when we pray. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice what it says here in verse 9. Jesus said, here's, you know, first he started off saying, uh, don't pray like these people. And then he said in verse 9, pray like this. In this manner or in this way, pray. So Jesus was giving them a certain way to pray. He was teaching them on prayer. So he's teaching us. So we're coming today uh, with a little bit. I wasn't sure this is what we're going to do, but evidently it's what God wants to do today. It's a little bit different from what I had planned, but we're going to go with what he has planned. I thought I knew what he had planned, but again, you know, maybe I wasn't hearing clearly. But I felt like he's wanting to emphasize how we pray. And we're talking about this Lord's Prayer, and it's something more that we do before a sporting event, before a game, or before uh, something we do just to special times, special occasions, maybe at a funeral. But this is something he says, this is the manner I want you to pray. And I, I'm not breaking down the Lord's Prayer. You can do that. And there's some great studies about it when it means our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you break that down and you spend time praying on that. And, but I want to look just what it says in verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom. Whose kingdom? Your kingdom, the Father in heaven. So it's talking about the kingdom of the Father in heaven. Or you could use it this way. You could say it this way, simply the kingdom of heaven. You ever heard that phrase? So the kingdom of heaven means the kingdom of the Father in heaven. So he's praying to him, your Father in heaven, talking about that kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. What is the kingdom? 
Remember, kingdom is a royalty, it's a realm, a domain that a king rules over. It's a system or a way the king rules. So remember, we're serving, when we say we're followers of Jesus, we're serving a king over a kingdom. We're not serving a church. I want to clarify that. No matter what church you go to, we've got the global church, the big church, the body of Christ as a whole, and we've got individual churches that we attend. We're not here just to serve the church. We're serving the king of a kingdom. When I serve just the church, then I can get attached to human beings and I can determine my loyalty based on the level of my trust in the humanity. All right, we're going a whole other direction here in the second service. That's all right. But here's what happens. If we don't understand I serve a king, then I will begin to measure my commitment based on the humanity around me instead of the king that I'm serving. So we got to serve a king who rules over a kingdom. The, the kingdom of heaven is not just another ideology or religion or an optional lifestyle. He's not just a belief system, not just a, a concept. Well, there's religion and there's Christianity and there's... No, no, no. The kingdom of heaven is a king over a kingdom. He rules over all. We talked about that a little bit last week. So he, pray, he says to pray this way. Your kingdom, not anybody else's kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven, your system, the way you do things, how you rule, how you run the show, that kingdom come. Are you with me? He said to pray this way, your kingdom come. Then he says in verse 10, your will be done. Your will. The word will means desire, choice, intent, purpose, and plan. The will of who? The will of the kingdom of heaven. Right? So our prayers are supposed to be that the will of heaven be done. Jesus told us to pray your will. In other words, what you want, the way you want it done, your values, your system, yours be done. Your will. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. And there's going to be a few tough questions today, but you know, I think we should always be challenged with the Word of God. Do we spend our prayer time praying what He wants to be done, His will be done, or do we spend our time praying our will to convince Him to do what we want? Just a question. If I spend all my time praying what I want, and I think that the purpose of prayer is to pray what I want and hope he wants it too. Like I'll pray what I want him to do in this situation, what I want him to do with that coworker, what I want him to do with my spouse, what I want him to do with my money. Notice what I said there. What I want him to do with my money. Some of you missed it. That's why I said it twice. What, what I want him to do in this situation, that's, do I spend my time praying that or do I spend my time praying your will be done in my situation? I'm praying for your will for my coworker, even if it goes against what I want. What if his will is to promote them and your will is to fire them? Tough prayer session. Which one do we go with? What, what if, I don't know how many rabbit holes to trace about that, but I'm, are we praying for his will to be done? His will, not my will. So look at your neighbor and say, it's not about you. You're welcome. You've been wanting to say that all service long. 
So we're supposed to pray that his will, not mine, be done. Be done. That's two words in English, but it's one Greek word. And I normally don't spend a lot of time talking about the Greek word because I'm not trying to act like I'm smart. Um, but the Greek word there is the word ginomahi. And the reason I give you these in your sermon notes is so that you know I'm not just making up some meaning. You can Google that word yourself and see what it means. You can look it up in a Strong's Concordance. You can look it up in a software program. But the word genomahi, so your will be done. Here's what that word means. It means to come to exist, to cause to be. So like it wasn't and it is. To come to exist, to cause to be. So it was not, now it be. It did not exist, but now it does. It speaks of transformation. Let me give you a couple biblical examples and hope this makes sense for you. What does it mean, your will be done? Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. This is talking about when Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the devil. You guys remember that? And he was tempted by, by the devil. This is after he'd fasted for 40 days. And the Bible says after 40 days he was hungry, no doubt. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. <laughs> so it says, now when the tempter came to him, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become, or ginamahi, bread. Satan was saying to Jesus, if you're the son of God, Command these what? These stones. What were they? Stones. But he said, command that they, stones, genomahi, bread. So the word is talking about transforming something from what it is into something that it can be. And it requires supernatural intervention. Stones don't become bread without God. He said, if you are the son of, so now that qualifies you to take a rock and make it Hawaiian roll. Lambert's roll. What, let's not go off this trail. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Stone become bread. So the, the idea is something was what it was in the natural, but with the power of God, it can be changed into something different. That's what genomahi means. Let me give you another example. Acts 4, verse 16. This is the story of the man who was lame from birth. Could not walk, and they laid him at the gate going into the temple, and he was laid there every day, right? And uh, he was over 40 years old, and then Peter, <coughs> excuse me, Peter and John came by, and uh, they saw that he had faith to be healed, said, silver and gold have I none. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. You remember that story? So this man stands up miraculously, begins to leap and walk, runs into the temple. All of this, everything should be a great thing, but it upset the religious people. They didn't like it. They didn't like that he was healed. They liked him lame. They liked him stuck in his situation. They had no answer for him. But when someone came along with an answer, it upset him. So here's what happened. They start to question the disciples. They're trying to figure out. They put him in jail, actually, for healing someone. The travesty. Acts 4, 16. 
saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done, or genamahi, through them, it is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Man was lame for 40 years, could not walk. Imagine. In the natural, what was he? He was lame. He even had the name, the lame man. His condition defined him. His whole life was built on the identity that he could not walk. He was lame. He begged for money every day over and over and over. But one encounter with God, and it says, a notable miracle has genomahit. That's the word. What does that mean? He was lame, now he leaps and walks. What was one way in the natural has been changed by supernatural power. So we're praying, your kingdom come, your will, genomahi. I'm saying, Lord, your will transform my natural into what it can be from heaven. It's not saying your will be done like I'm ignoring what's happening. It's not saying that's not there, that's not there, that's not there. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord... I see this stone, but I believe you can make it bread. I see this lame situation, but I believe you can make it walk. Your will be done in my life. So now we need to have this kind of prayer life that, Lord, whatever I'm experiencing in the natural is subject to your supernatural intervention. That's how he told us to pray. So your will be done involves the transformation of something that currently exists into something completely different. Here's what God's speaking to all of us. He's saying, don't be discouraged by what you see. Don't be discouraged by what currently exists. Begin to pray that the will of heaven be done and transform that situation. That's how he tells me to pray. Like, well, what if it doesn't happen? That's not the issue. He just says to pray that way. He doesn't say stop praying that way if it doesn't work. He says this is how you pray. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So your will be done. So now your will be done. He says pray this way. Pray that your will will be done. If his will, here's the question, here's the other tough question. If his will is automatically always done every time in every situation, then why does he tell us to pray that his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Theological challenging moment for some. If his will is always done in every situation, why would he pray for us or ask us to pray for his will to be done? If our praying for his will to be done doesn't matter, then why would he say to do it? These are some of the tough questions that people don't want to address because it's easy, it's comfortable for me to just gravitate towards a belief system that says whatever God wants to do is what's going to happen every time. If that's the case, then why do I pray? Why does he tell me to pray? If he tells me for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and it doesn't matter whether I pray or not, then why would he say that? So we've got to address that. We've got to figure out what is he saying on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that way. Well, let's use some biblical examples. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Turn to your right a little bit. Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Is your thinking cap on? Are you already challenged? I want to address things from a standpoint of 
Help me, Holy Spirit. I think it's so vitally important for us to build our belief system based on what the Bible says and not on what we feel. Too many people are building a theological construct of their religion or their belief system based on their experience, what happens to them, and how they feel about what happens to them. And I'm just telling you that's dangerous. We open ourselves up. How many knows about yourself, your feelings can be a tad bit fickle? That maybe sometimes you feel some way one day and you don't feel that way the next. I can't trust my feelings. Because I know sometimes I'm like, this is the way I feel. But that's not necessarily my reality. It's just how I feel. So we got to be careful that we don't build our belief system on prayer based on how we feel about prayer. All right, so let's look at it. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out. Remember, what are we praying? We're talking about? We're talking about praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then Jesus went out from there and departed in the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan. That's important. Woman of Canaan. She's not a Jew. She's a non-Jew. In uh, another portions of scripture, this same story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they, one passage, they describe her as the Syrophoenician woman. Maybe you remember that. All right, so the woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him. Who's him? Jesus. What did she say? Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, crying out to God. Did she cry out to Jesus or did Jesus cry out to her? She cried out to Jesus. Now, she cried out to Jesus, what did she say? Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something that someone else cried out to David or to Jesus? Anybody remember? You remember some blind men that was by the road and they yelled out, Jesus! Sorry. <clears throat> I overdid, I overcooked my voice this week and so I'm just recovering today, so I'm trying to. Stay in a certain lane. Where was I? Yeah, I was yelling. Jesus! <laughs> Jesus! Son of David! Remember the blind men? And Jesus stopped and addressed them. These guys were from Israel. This lady does the same thing. Jesus well, she doesn't say his name, Jesus. She says, have, her, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Does this sound like a reasonable request from a mother? I think it sounds pretty reasonable. You've got a demon-possessed daughter, and you're crying out to the Lord, the son of David, to have mercy on you. How many is already in tune and connected with this woman like, yes, I'm in her corner, right? We're cheering for her. Look at verse 23. Look at what the son of David did. Verse 23. But he answered her not a word. He ignored her. Now, our nice, sweet Jesus that does everything. We're, we're going to challenge that box that we put Jesus in. He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, the disciples get involved. Why the disciples get involved? Because they assumed when she cried out to Jesus that he would do something about it. But when he didn't do something about it, he did not respond to her, he didn't talk to her, guess what? She didn't stop. She didn't say, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. He ignored her and she goes, well, oh well, I tried. She didn't do that. She kept going. She kept going so much, the disciples, like, they stepped in. Hey, Jesus, if you're not going to do something with this lady, at least send her off because she's wearing us out. This annoying badgering over, son of David, son of David. Put a sock in it, lady. Jesus, either heal her or kick her out of here. The compassion of the disciples was unmeasurable. It's amazing. Don't be judging them because we're not far from them. Right? So So Jesus, notice in verse 24, Jesus did not answer the woman when she kept crying out, but he answered them. Man. He answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus, come on. This sounds like something the Pharisees would say. This sounds like something some religious, pious person that we would criticize would say. But who said it? Was it in the red? Yes, if you have a red letter edition Bible. So Jesus himself said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was not even acknowledging her. He was talking to his disciples while she's yelling out, have mercy on me, son of David. Disciples like, yo, Jesus, do something with this lady. I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wouldn't even acknowledge her. Now does that, we're in the lady's corner, right? Jesus is now doing something that seems really Difficult for us to digest. Look at verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him. Time out. Everything changed. She came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. Something happens when you begin to worship God that's different from when you just cry out to him. There's something that takes place when I go from just crying out for him to do for me what I want him to do for me, and I move into worshiping him for who he is. She began to worship him as Lord, and the petition was not just about come and do this for me. She does say, Lord, help me. But when she's worshiping him saying, Lord, help me, it's not just help me like give me what I want. It's help me. Evidently, I'm not doing something right. You're not even responding to me, so I'm worshiping you. And when she does that and her heart begins to shift in that mode, look what happens. Verse 26. So now surely with the worship, Jesus is going to respond in a favorable way and give her exactly what, he, what she wants. Verse 26, but he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. No, Jesus, come on, I was trying to hang with you, but now you're starting to make me mad. This lady's got a legitimate issue. She's a mama with a child. And she's calm, she's asked you, she's begged, she's hollered, she's kept at it. And then she came and worshipped you, so she did that, right? Surely you ought to respond. No, what was his response? He says, no, I can't even give the children's bread to the little dogs. Are you, are you calling me a dog? I know some people that would be really honked off at Jesus right now. 
I'd be offended. I know some religious people that if this was the response of someone today to someone, they would want them, they would say they're not of God. Let's just say that. So he says, uh, you know what he was saying? She's, she was throwing it to the little dogs. He's calling her a non-Jew. Non-Jew. Dogs is what the Israelites called Gentiles. Dogs. I'm not saying it was right. It's just what they did. And Jesus was acknowledging that she was a non-Jew. And here's, what, here's her comeback. Listen to this woman. We're going to learn a lot about prayer right here. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Here's a woman who has a child that's demon-possessed, severely demon-possessed, comes to Jesus to bring deliverance, and she gets nothing but ignored, semi-insulted. She could at least take it that way. Whether that was Jesus' intention, she could take it that way. She could have taken offense. And now she has to stay with it, and she says, yeah, but wait a minute. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. So Jesus, in verse 28, says this. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Here's the question. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. If my prayer doesn't matter, why does he tell me to pray? And if his will is always done, then what happened with him and the interaction with this woman? Was it the will of heaven for her to be healed? If it was the will of heaven for her to be healed, was Jesus missing it? These are some tough questions that we have to ask ourselves. If it was the will of heaven for her to be healed, was Jesus just playing with her? Was he just toying with her? Or was it truly that Jesus was not called to the Gentile that would come with the disciples and the, because the Bible said Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. So how come in this moment when this woman comes to him wanting to be her daughter to be delivered, he really shuns her and pushes her aside and says, sorry, no, this is not. I mean, this is right. This is in the Bible. I'm not making it up. This is not a story that I'm making up to fulfill my objective or anything like that. I'm just reading it out of the page, right? And all of a sudden, something changed, and he says, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire, and her daughter was healed. I don't, here's some things I don't, I don't know a lot of things about God because I am not God. Here's some things I know. Faith matters. It's not always the problem, but it matters. God's will is not always done the way he wants it to be done, without the partnership of people involved. God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Are all coming to repentance? Go ahead, you play along. Are all coming to, are all coming to repentance? Does anyone, let's try it this way. Does anyone know someone who is not born again? So the will of God is not being done in their life yet. Right? So what do we do about that? We pray for his will to come, his will to be done, his will to get a mahi in their life. 
Now here we got to deal with some tough questions because, see, what, what didn't happen, this woman didn't know the, the theological construct of a sovereign God that does whatever he wants when he wants. She didn't understand that. She just wanted her daughter to be healed, and she kept going and kept pressing in, kept worshiping until she saw it happen. The woman with the issue of blood, we could use her, the woman with the issue of blood didn't know that God does whatever he wants when he wants and she doesn't have any say so in it. She didn't understand that theological concept. All she knew is she had a flow of blood for 18 years and she was no better. She spent all she had and she heard about Jesus and she came and pressed through the crowd, didn't tell everybody she was unclean, just pressed through and touched the hem of his garment and she was healed even though Jesus didn't even know who touched him. What are we going to do with that theologically that somehow she pulled on something that God didn't even intend to give her? In other words, it's not like he stopped and saw her and said, hey, I will that you be healed. He didn't even know that someone touched him, but she was healed. He felt power come out of him. These are questions that I deal with. Maybe you don't deal with these questions, but I deal with these questions because I'm consistently running into situations where I need the hand of God to move. Consistently running into situations either with my children or with my church or with my family where there are people in need of breakthrough in their life and we want to pray for the kingdom of heaven to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And when you don't see it happen, you don't see the breakthrough that you're praying for, you have a choice. We have a situation. Am I going to quit praying? Am I going to give up? Am I going to adopt a different theology and say, well, maybe we just don't know what God wants to do and you just have to, I'm going to trust him with the mystery of of it, but I'm not going to give up on it. Because every time that uh, we face these situations and we face adversity, and I know there are many of you, I, I, would, I would dare to say all of you have had times and places in your life where you've prayed for something and it did not come through the way you thought it would. We're not alone, right? I face this over and over and over in my life, but what do we do in the midst of it? How do we handle it? Go to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to go off script so there will not be words on the screen for this one. I said 19, I meant 18. 18. Luke 18. Pray in this manner, Jesus said. Your kingdom come, your will, genomahi. Genomahi. Transform my earth to match heaven. That's what Jesus was saying. Transform my earthly circumstances to match heaven's will. Your will, Ginomahi. Your plan, your purpose, Ginomahi. How do we handle that? Luke, Luke 18, how do we pray? Verse 1, then he spoke a parable to them that men always, and we, we, let's throw ladies in there, it's not just talking about males, every male and female, that people, let's say people, that people always ought to pray. How often should we pray? Always. And not, not faint, not lose heart, not get weak, not give up. We should always pray and not lose heart. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Should not lose heart, not lose heart, not lose heart, not lose heart. Don't lose heart in praying. I'm here to encourage myself and to encourage church family, to encourage the body of Christ. Even if your prayers didn't seem to work in a situation, don't lose heart in praying. 
We are called to pray that his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whether we see it or not, we pray it. Whether I experience it the way I want, I pray it. Whether it happens for me or if it happens for someone else. If it happens in someone else's life and it hasn't happened in my life yet, I don't poo-poo their situation and get mad and frustrated. I praise God because I see his will being done on earth just as it is in heaven there. So I'm encouraged that God, just what you've done for them, you can do in my life. Keep praying. I don't lose heart. I don't lose heart in the concept of prayer just because I've been disappointed in prayer. I get disappointed in prayer on the regularly, but my disappointment is not in him. My disappointment is me and my understanding of how to bring heaven to the earth. I don't know how to do it every time. I don't know how it works every time. I don't know how to plug into the plan of God and bring it to pass, but I'm going to keep coming because I know it's his heart. For his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know that's his heart. I know that's his will. So my job is to pray that his will be done over and over and over and never lose heart. Because the moment that I get frustrated because it didn't work in your situation or your situation, then someone else comes up to me and asks me to pray for them, to stand in the gap for them and believe for them. And I say, sorry, I can't because I I got disappointed in this one, believing with this one at church and that one and, and this one and this one. So therefore, I can't believe God for you. I'm sorry, you're on your own. We can't do it. We gotta get back on the horse and pray. And keep praying, keep praying. Well, well, what if it doesn't happen? That's not my job to concern myself with what if it doesn't. My job is to pray that it does. Well, when are you going to quit praying that it does? When I have no more breath in my body. Verse 2 says, saying, Jesus still telling, I don't have time for this story. <sighs> There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city. And she came to this unjust judge. This wasn't coming to God. This was coming to an unjust judge saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. I will vindicate her. I will bring justice for her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me or wear me out. Then the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect? who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with him, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I told Don the other day, uh, no, it was yesterday, as I was studying, I'll be a little transparent. I I live in uh, a little bit, I don't want to make this about me, so I'm just trying to be, what does transparent look like? I'm filtering. I live in a continual frustration of certain things. I'm a guy that if I read it, then I believe that it's the way it's supposed to be. The problem is my life is filled with experiences that don't match what I read. I don't know if that's your life or not. 
But in those moments, we have a, we have a decision to make. Am I going to change, change what I believe to match what I experience instead of what I read? Or will I live with the mystery of why what I experience is not what I read and keep believing what I read? Oh, it's not easy. I told her, I said, I wish I could unread the Bible. I wish I could unread scriptures that the Lord has put in my heart. I wish I could just say, oh, well, maybe you never know what God wants to do. I, I can't to it. You and I, we can't afford to just release the word. This is why we have to pray the word of God. Because I'm not telling him what I want. My will be done. It's praying his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But there's a difficulty, there's a challenge because we want to continue to move according to what we feel and what we experience. And my beliefs are based on when are you going to quit, when are you going to quit talking about that, when are you quit praying like that. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes God does, sometimes he doesn't. That's just the way it is. Then why does he tell me to pray? You're not supposed to be yelling. Why does he tell me to pray his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven if it doesn't matter whether I pray? I'm going to keep praying for you because it matters to him. I don't understand it. I don't know. I, don't, I can't figure it out. I, I could go through this room and I could throw a rock and hit countless people that I've stood with and fought with you. And it didn't go the way we wanted. And I have to get back up here and keep preaching this is what he says. Because in the time, here's what I know. In the end times, 2 Timothy chapter 4 Paul wrote this to Timothy and he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Continue with suffering to teach the word of God. In the midst of confusion and pain, teach the word of God. Or in your application, speak the word of God. Read the word of God. Use the word of God. It doesn't matter. We have to do it with long suffering. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Friends, I don't know what, what things you faced that have brought disappointment in your life. I've, I've got a plethora. But I can't unread these scriptures. I can't unread Matthew 10. I can't unread Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. I, I can't unread these scriptures of Luke 10, 19. I can't unread Isaiah 53. I, I can't unread this stuff that he says, listen, I have given you power and authority over all demons to cast them out. I can't unread that. I can get into religion and just say, hey, we're here just for nice pep talks on Sunday. I'm not in it for that. We're here for the kingdom of heaven to come, that we're called to operate in the supernatural, not in concepts and theories. 
I'm not satisfied with that. I don't want us to be that, the place we come in. Well, that's a good sermon. No, I want us to encounter the presence of God. I want demons to get so uncomfortable when they come in our service. But they want to beg you to leave and you stay and freedom comes. That doesn't come just by concepts and theories about God and heaven and he will do whatever he wants to do. No, I believe it comes with power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So what am I praying for? Not for anything about me. I'm praying for him to move. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.